just, I get to the privilege to travel all around the world now, and uh, sometimes there's not even an ounce of the presence that's in a soccer stadium that's in this room right now. And uh, sometimes I feel like I go to church more than Jesus, uh, because he goes to churches sometimes he, that I go to. Or he doesn't go to churches that sometimes I go to. And so, uh, until Eric and I get there, my wife. And so, but let me tell you, I, I was driving over here and I told my wife, I said, I feel like in some ways this is full circle to come back around to Overflow Church. And I don't know about you, but I sense a fresh expectation in this room. Uh, maybe just all three of us. But um, I, I really do. I, I don't care what your week was like. I don't care how, how hell broke against you last night, what your financial situation is. I don't care where your lack of faith is. I don't care if you're away from God, with God, if you're attached to Him at some point. I don't care where you're at. There's, this is a dangerous place for you right now uh, because discouragement can't live in the presence of God. Have you figured that out? Have you figured out that your, your hopelessness is the remedy that He needs to come in and just add a little bit of Him and all of a sudden that turns into vision and expectation and fresh anointing and all He ever needed was a broken vessel. And I tell you what, if you think God is... Listen, can I, I feel like preaching this morning. Can you tell? Uh, God is not in love with the future version of you. He's in love with the you right now. All right. When God got you, he knew exactly what he got. Messed up and all. All right. You did not surprise God with, oh, I have this issue or, oh, that, I didn't know that was going to happen. He knew exactly. He's not in love with what you will be 20 years from now. He was in love with you the moment he found you messed up, cracked out of your mind with a needle in your arm. It doesn't matter where you came from. All he knows is that he is madly in love with you. And I can't think of a better place to be than a church that will actually flow in the presence. Man, that's, 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 that's refreshing to me because normally it's four and done. All right. Four songs and done. But I I love when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit starts to happen. You know, a lot of people think significant is in numbers. But I want to remind you, the church was birthed with, with only 120 in a small room just like this. If you've ever been to Israel. And I'm telling you that something is... I, I told you this uh, before, so I, was, I think you're going to have to go to sec- two services pretty quick here. And uh, what great problems to have. I pray for parking problems. I pray for nursery problems. Uh, those are good problems to have. Come on, somebody. But listen, when there's a good well to drink from, people don't care what the parking lot looks like. They don't care what banners and what everything else you have. They just want something fresh. They want something real. And they have it all right here at Overflow Church. And privileged to be on the board at this church. I can tell you that that, uh, when Pastor Josh called me and said, Hey, I'm coming to Dallas. I want to plant a church. I thought, man, I don't know if we need another church in Dallas. But then he started sharing his vision. And uh, started sharing just who he is. And obviously... Being brought up under his ministry, I already knew his heart, but what he wanted to do was so unique. Uh, and I love the name Overflow. I, I mean, I just love that name. Everything else could be really weird. I've been to some churches where their names sound like funeral homes. Right. <laughs> and their services are just like that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. But I am so grateful to be here. I, it's such a, I, I'm, I never thought 15 years ago, as I walked in that gym and started, actually what Leslie and I were talking about is how much we hated Pastor Josh. Um, and, and, and let alone she would become his wife and, and uh, I would be a favored son uh, in his youth ministry. I tell you that. I, I got picked on all the time for being his favorite. Well, when you have it, you have it, you know. Uh, but I tell you what, I'm so grateful for this man. And, I, and I say, he gets uncomfortable when I talk about him, but I'm grateful for this man because he's the one who taught me how to pray before I ever learned to preach. 
He's the one who taught me the importance of servanthood before I ever learned to do ministry. He's the one who taught me about unity. He's the one who taught me about worship and a lifestyle of worship. I remember one time I was having a bad attitude. He pulled me in his office and said, when's the last time you prayed? And I was like, two weeks ago. And he's like, go home. You have 30 minutes to get in love with Jesus again because service starts in 45. And I did. And I tell you what, I, it was those kind of little challenges and little nuggets and, and him coming at, even when I lost my mind. How many know you can walk with God and then a cute girl will come by, a little Delilah will come by, or a Delilah will come by, <laughs> and, 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 and which would happen to me. And I remember him taking me out on my mom's balcony and challenging me on this relationship, and I hated the mess out of him for, for, for doing that. But I tell you what, it was a turning point conversation. And, uh, and now uh, it is to your account that everything that Eric and I do around the world is really credited to you. And Tony Dennis, who, who mentored you, pastored you, discipled you. And, and uh, I would not know Jesus if it was not for Josh Brown. I'll tell you that right now. He's the one who led me to the Lord, prayed with me. I was standing right beside him at YFN, just down the road here, when the Lord called me into ministry. Actually, I got saved. I got filled with the Spirit and called into ministry on the same night. And, and so that was a big night. It was a big night. Um, and I remember the Lord saying, I, uh, I'm calling you to ministry. And I said, well, what is that? <laughs> and he said, I want you to be just like your youth pastor. And, I, and, and I, I remember immediate yes leaping out of my heart and over my lips. And I cannot tell you what a tremendous honor it has been to just follow that call. And I've watched him walk through some of the darkest hours of his life. I tell you what, I have seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I can tell you there is a consistency about this man. And it does not matter to him what, what, what others might think or say. What matters is his opinion in heaven. And I, I've watched... You know, God, man does not call man. You do know that, right? God calls man. And when God laid a claim on Pastor Josh's life, I saw that claim just embrace some hardship and some difficulty. I have watched him walk through betrayal. I have watched him walk through bitterness. I have watched, and the whole time you would never know he was going through that because he just stayed in love with the Lord. That's hard to find nowadays. How many know what I'm talking about? And so it's a trem- I, I just cannot say this enough, a tremendous honor for me to be here this morning. But I do have a word. Are you hungry? Yes. How many came to eat this morning? Yes. Right? Maybe some of you are hungry or thirsty. Depends on where you're at in your diet. But this morning, I'm telling you, I feel a word. I changed my message maybe 10 minutes before the service started. Turn to the I said, I'm changing my message. He said, you are? <laughs> so I might have messed up all the app stuff, the notes on theirs. But, but they do things with excellence. It's me that, well, it's really the Lord that's bipolar, okay? So, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I need you to talk back to me this morning. Can you do that? I think a quiet church is a dead church, all right? The Word of God deserves a response, all right? It is not a spectator uh, uh, sport. It is very much God is not wanting to touch you this morning. God's not interested in playing tag with you. He wants full contact with you this morning. Is that okay? Listen, if you don't talk back to me, you're going to see this Mexican with a mic get real insecure, and I'll throw it at one of you. I'm barely saved, all right? So I need you to talk back to me this morning. Can you do that? Yes. All right, I feel like preaching, but I feel a real prophetic edge uh, on the message for the house. I, I feel like you were being positioned for the right moment. And I feel like there's these key moments that are coming down the line. And I feel like the Lord is putting some finishing touches on this house for some unique things that He's calling you to. And I don't believe this just corporately. I believe this individually. I, I feel like 
overflow church and the families represented and the lives and the callings and the jobs and everything else, I feel like all of that is about to turn a corner. I feel like an era is ending and a new one is beginning. I feel like a chapter has been closed from being written and a new one. And I feel like my excitement this morning is to stir up some expectation. Would that be okay? Do I have a job this morning? Can I blow some dust off some promises that you've been waiting on? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. How many need something just cashed in from heaven like now? And I'm telling, listen, I'm not telling you, this isn't a a, a get blessed uh, message, quick, quick, get blessed, quick message this morning. What this is, is I want to stir up some fresh expectation to some words that God has spoken to you. And I want to speak to you this morning. Now, I'm going to take a lot of detours. We're going to read, go to 1 Kings, I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 7. And I'm going to read this morning. I'm going to take several detours, but just follow along with me, if you will. And then I'm going to make it all all tied together at the end. But I I want you to see something that I have seen for you this morning, felt in my spirit. I, I can't think of a building that just looks so good for what it is and what you are doing. I mean, my goodness, I, I remember our storefront church, and I think I showed you, it did not look this good. You remember this, Erica? This was crazy. She's over there yelling at somebody. Um, uh, she, I'll I, I tell you what, there is more use in this, in this facility than I've ever seen in my life. This is great. I love it. Second Kings chapter 7, are you there? Say yes. yes. Come on, say yes. yes. All right. Don't worry, the Cowboys will win today. You don't have to be depressed, okay? 2 Kings 7. 2 Kings 7. Now, before we start reading, let me give you some background. The the army of the Syrians have caused a severe famine to happen to the people of God. And they've cut off all the supply lines into the city of God. And what's happened is they cut off all the supply lines because they didn't want bloodshed. So they said, well, instead of shedding blood, let's just begin to starve them out. And so, as you know, no supplies coming into the city. There's no fresh food. There's no oil. You can't make you can't make bake bread. You cannot do any of that. And so they've cut off all the supply lines, and it has gotten so bad that it is so awful that they have resorted to eating donkey heads and dove droppings. I don't care how much hot sauce you put on donkey heads and dove droppings; it's going to taste like donkey head and dove dropping. All right. They don't care how much barbecue sauce you put on that. All right. It's going to taste like that. Now it's gotten so bad that it king, the king is walking the walls and a woman calls out and says, oh king, would you help us? And he replies, if God can't help you, then I can't either. But what's your, what's your request? She said, would you help me? My neighbor convinced me to, to, to kill my son and eat him. This is bad. This isn't just bad. This is bad. All right. My neighbor convinced me to, to kill him and eat him so that we could have food. And then tomorrow we were going to kill her son and cook and eat him. So I went and killed my son. We ate him. And now she went and hit her son. How many know this is a bad day? You ain't had a bad. The worst day for this generation is life without Wi-Fi. Okay, this is this is not here. All right, this is a bad day. Are you following me? Everybody say yes. All right, let's read Second Kings chapter seven. So God sends His prophet to answer this situation. Verse one. Then Elisha said, "Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord: Tomorrow about this time. Everybody say that. Tomorrow." About this time. Say it again. Tomorrow about this time. He says, Tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Look up at me. I told you I'm going to take several detours. I, 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 I think this is interesting. I like this language. Tomorrow about this time. Do you realize what he's prophesying? Yeah. Do you realize this? This ain't no. This is what he's saying. He's saying, tomorrow, This would be like, let me put it like this. Tomorrow, that would be like me getting up here and saying, tomorrow about this time, gas is going to be 99 cents. Some of you just got saved right there. All right, that's all you need for your victory. 
That's what he's saying. Are you following me? And notice what he's prophesying. He's prophesying fine flour and seed. This is king's table food. This is not cheap food. This isn't what you go to Aldi's for, all right? This is what you go to the K. Roger, and you go to Sprouts, and I call it K. Roger Kroger. Uh, you, this, is where, this, is where you go, this is where you get the expensive, this is King Table's food, which is a prophetic picture of you and me. God always brings His very best and the very worst. And that's what you are. You are an unplanned strategy of God that the enemy has no battle plan against. Are you with me? And what's happening is He's saying that I am going to give you the very best. He's not prophesying cheap food. He's prophesying expensive... uh, Let me put it like this. You are not a cheap dream. You are not a cheap purpose. You are not a cheap vision. Your marriage is not a cheap marriage. If God was willing to send His Son so that you could operate in the fullness of your dream, you are very expensive to Him, and He will do whatever it takes, no matter if all hell breaks about you, and you're eating donkey heads and dove droppings, He will do whatever it takes to make sure you are supplied in the right way. Are you with me? Yes. I'm preaching better than somebody saying amen. I'll tell you that. All right, let's get verse 2 and jump down to verse 3. We'll close verse 2 out today. No, verse 3. Now there were four leprous men. How many leprous men? Four. Come on, how many? Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let's go in the city, the famine's in the city, we're going to die. If we sit here, we're lepers, we're going to die also. Therefore, let's just go surrender the army of Syrians. If they keep us alive, we get to live. If they kill us, we were going to die anyways. Some good logic there. Verse 5. And they rose at twilight. When did they rise? When did they rise? They rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians, and when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. Verse 6, For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel is hired against us, the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight. When did they flee? Come on, when did they flee? Then they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. Verse 8. And when these lepers had come to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent, ate and drank, and carried from it silver and golden clothing, and went and hid them. You know what that's called? Loading. Savings. That's right. Savings. <laughs> and then they came back and entered another tent and carried from there also uh, some goods from there and went and hid that. You know what that's called? Investing. All right? <laughs> Are you seeing what I'm seeing? You talk about hitting the jackpot. You talk about, listen, this is walking up on a deserted enemy camp that has all your food and all your supplies. You ever found $20 on the ground? Yeah. I mean, did you, when you found that $20, you, did, you didn't do this. You see the $20, you didn't go, hey, is this anybody's $20? This belong to you? How about you? 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 Hey, you run away. You, this is your 20 You don't do that. What do you do? <laughs> and then you put your foot on it because everything under your foot belongs to the Lord and everything else, right? And if you're extra charismatic, you walk around it seven times just to make sure it's blessed and everything's falling off of it that needs to. And then very discreetly, you take that $20 and you work it up your leg just like this and you put it in your pocket, right? Now you do all that for $20. Imagine how much you would lose your mind, how stupid you would act when you woke up on an entire enemy. You go, listen, on an entire enemy deserted camp, you go hide some stuff in cases too. Alright? You following me? This is exactly what's happening. Right? Now watch this. Verse 9. Then they said, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until morning, some punishment is going to come upon us. Therefore, let's go and let the king's household know. Verse 10. So they went and called the gatekeepers of the city and told them, we went to the Syrian camp and surprisingly, no one was there. Not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied and the tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out and they told the king's household inside. 
Verse 12, So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, Let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry, therefore they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, that's when we'll catch them alive and get into the city. Now look up at me. This is interesting to me, and I've watched this in my own life and around the earth. I'm watching some of the most miraculous moves of God happen, just like this church. And I have found that when the move of God starts coming, it always brings out the naysayers. I have found when revival really starts to break out, some people who think they know more than God always show up. Have you noticed this? People who have opinions but no experience. People who have viewpoints but aren't even tithing. Come on. Nobody said amen on that. Good thing we're not taking up a love offering this morning. Listen, it's amazing to me how much we think that we've got things figured out. And he comes out. This is the king, right? This is supposed to be the chief vessel, the example to all the people of what a man trusting God looks like. And he comes out and says, let me just tell you what they've done. This man has no expectation for the miraculous move of God. And he comes out with his arrogant statement and says, let me tell you what they're really doing. He's calling ambush. Right? Have you found that when God starts moving in your life, there's always somebody there that says, well, you'll get over that. Come on. I remember them telling me when I first got saved, because I got, I got delivered from drugs and lust and relationships. I remember I got delivered so hard that people said, oh, you're not smoking anymore. Oh, you're not getting high anymore. Oh, you're not doing that anymore. Well, that's just a phase. You'll get over it. I've been in this phase for 15 years. Come on. I am never having a relapse. Are you following me? All right. I'm telling you that there are things that God is doing in your life that you cannot listen to everybody. I'll just go ahead and keep moving. Maybe I'm going too deep. Verse 13. And one of his servants answered and said, Please! I like this. You've got to read this, please. You're starving. Your wives and kids haven't eaten anything good. Your people, your family members are scared about the future. And so this man says, Please! Right? Please let several men take five of the remaining horses which are left in the city. You only got five horses left. Just go check it out, right? Five of the remaining horses left in the city. Look, they may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or indeed I say they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. So let us send them and see. Then they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, Go and see. Watch this. Verse 15. This is huge. And they went out after them to the Jordan, and indeed all the road was full of garments and weapons, which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out, plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Let's pray for a moment. Holy Spirit, I ask for wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ to fill our hearts. Fill our hearts with your presence. God, I speak to this atmosphere and I come against poverty mentalities. I come against limits and restrictions. I declare they're being lifted off of your life. I declare there's nothing is off limits in this moment right now. God, you can get into any places, even places we have not allowed you for a very long time. We are waiting to be your sign. We are waiting to be discovered, God. We are waiting to be a divine turnaround in this hour. And Lord, whatever we got to go through to get it, God, we will never lose our faith. We will never lose our fire. We will never lose our focus, God. We will never lose our determination, God. Lord, I pray that there would be some tenaciousness that would rise again for living the dreams of God in our heart. When you were born, a dream of God was birthed through you. And Lord, I pray for an aggressive faith in this room. I I don't pray for pacified, sissified, making up excuses faith, God. I pray that this would be ridiculous to some others. I pray that they would get radical with their trust with God. Lord, I thank you that 
that they may be in college, they may be happily married, they may be at a dead-end job, but they don't know the God that they know. They don't know the dreams and the plans that they have for them. You said that we will never be ready for what you're about to do in our life. You said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered in the heart of men the things that God has prepared for those that love them. So I speak this over to you right now. And I break discouragement off of your life. I break disappointment off of you. I break depression off of you. I break the lies of the enemy. Those heart-written words on your heart that your parents have spoken and said, you'll never be better than this. You'll never have more than that. I break those lies off of your life. Where they have called you a failure, where they have called you impotent, where they have called you no good, where they have called you unproductive, I break that lie over you. Where you have, where you have lied, walked in the trap of comparing yourself to others, other ministers, other places, other marriages, other jobs. I break that. That's apples and oranges. That is an unfair rival. I break that off of them right now. And I speak life over you. I speak truth over you. I speak the favor of God on your life in the name of Jesus. And everybody said Amen. 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 I I love basketball. I, 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 as we were, because he came and changed everything in our youth ministry, I used to play a lot of basketball. When Pastor Josh showed up, I didn't play so much basketball, which he got in, in the way of my love. And so uh, I, I loved playing basketball, and I had a dream that I was going to make it into the NBA. I thought I was going to be the first Mexican to make it in the NBA because, listen, we got a lot of chocolate represented in the NBA. All right, got a lot of black people up in there, right? And we got a lot of whipped cream up in the NBA, all the white people, all right? We need some caramel in the NBA, some brown people. And there's not been a good Mexican, Hispanic, Latino representation in the NBA. And I thought, well, I'll just take that mantle on myself and change that. <laughs> well, I, 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 I've always loved to play basketball. And my, one of my, my favorite team is the Dallas Mavericks. And I, I, I love the Mavs, and I think we have made some great acquisitions over the break. I think we're a contender for the title, because uh, we know the Rangers ain't doing nothing anymore. So, But th- this is the Cowboys' year. At least that's what Jerry Jones has said for the last 10, 15 years. But it's our year. It's our year. This is our year, right? I love playing, uh, and, I, and I remember in 2006, I watched the, the, the Mavericks go through their season, and everybody thought they were an underdog, and they really were, but they had a lot, of, uh, a lot of talent on this team. And I remember them getting the playoffs, and after one playoff victory after another after another, people started thinking, man, are they a contender? Well, I watched them work their way through the entire Western Conference. I watched them beat the Oklahoma City Thunders. I watched them beat the Los Angeles Lakers. And I remember when they beat the Los Angeles Lakers, they won the Western Conference Championship. Now, this isn't the NBA title, but it's their division championship. And I remember the award ceremony. I remember, you know how this goes. They take that trophy and they give it, uh, they, the, the commissioner takes it and he gives it to the owner, which is Mark Cuban. And Mark Cuban gave it to the head coach. And the head coach gave it to the MVP, which was Dirk Nowitzki. God loves Dirk Nowitzki. All right? And he, he took that and gave it to him. And man, this was his first major achievement in the NBA, especially coming from his country where most Germans do not make any achievements in the NBA. So he took pictures with that thing. right give it a kiss the whole thing celebrated but they would go on and they would lose to the Miami Heat in 2006 I'm telling you God hates the Miami Heat it says so in Psalms I can't back that up but it'd be nice if it did because I know his heart they lose they 
lose the championship in 2006. But God would have his vengeance. In 2010, and the same situation happened. I watched the Mavericks battle through a season. Again, everybody's doubting them. I remember them going through the NBA Finals once again, and again beating the Los Angeles Lakers, and then beating the Oklahoma City Thunder, which at that point, four years ago, was a huge achievement. And so there they are. They've won the championship again. Remember, it's not the NBA title, but they take that championship, and I remember they did the awards ceremony, except this time Dirk did something different than he did before. It said that they took the, 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 uh, the commissioner gave the trophy to the owner, which is Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban took it and gave it to the head coach. The head coach gave it to Dirk Nowitzki, again, the MVP, except Dirk didn't hold pictures. He didn't do any of that, didn't give it no kisses, didn't celebrate his friends. He took the trophy, gave it to his teammates, and walked out of the stadium. Now, everybody was shocked, didn't stay for any interviews, no nothing. And and a reporter caught up with him on his way to the locker room, just one. And they said, Dirk, what was that all about? Why did you leave? And he goes, this is what he said. He said, because I have that trophy already. And I didn't come here to celebrate what I already have because I came for the title shot. Let me tell you, what we do in the church is we celebrate things we already have. We just repackage it and say, hey, look at what else we got. The truth is, where God has taken you as a person and as this church, you have never been. So your opinions should not get in the way. Your experiences should not get in the way. And you, listen, some of you have put in too much blood, sweat, and tears into your life, into your education, into your future to just settle. This is not a moment to settle. No one told you to stop. No one told you to give up. No one told you to go to another dream. No one said do this because everybody else is doing it so it works. God told you to do what He meant to do and when He got very specific with you, He meant it for a reason. He's not trying to impress you with His attention to detail. He's trying to tell you this is exactly how I need it. You have come too far to come with what you already have. If you want something you've never had, you've got to do something you've never done. If you want things you've never occupied, then you've got to do something that makes you look ridiculous. And listen, I have found that it's the ridiculous that gets us to the radical, that gets us to the favor of God. I have found this all over the place. You cannot, you did not come here for the same word. You did not come here for the same worship. I, when, I, when, I, when I used to pastor, I used to challenge our people all the time. If you came in here expecting what we got last week, you will miss this week. In fact, some people just come to church expecting nothing. Well, guess what they leave with? Nothing. But if you come into His presence, if you start attacking and praying over yourself and over your marriages and your kids and everything else and stop fearing the future for crying out loud, you would have things you've never had before. You would see the goodness of God in the land of the living, just like David promised. I would have lost heart unless I knew I would have seen the goodness of God in the land of the living. Are you receiving this this morning? Is anybody with me? I think it's time for a divine turnaround. I'm calling this message a divine turnaround. If you're going to have divine turnarounds, you have to understand this. Number one, there is nothing moderate about our God. Right. There is nothing moderate about our God. This is interesting. I remember when the Lord uh, spoke this to me and started dealing with me. I, I got this amazing job and uh, uh, making tons of money. And I remember one of my first checks at this job was for $10,000. That was just for one check. All right. So you can imagine if I that was starting out. So at the end of it, you guys knew me that. And at the end of it, you, you know, we weren't making six-figure salaries. We were making six-figure checks. Are you following me? 
That's a good place to say amen. I'll tell you that right now. All right. So I got this $10,000 check, and I, I have never seen $10,000 made out to me. I, I knew how to make $10,000, but it wasn't legally. All right. I mean, listen, when, when took down, I was, it, this came in the form of a check. I'm used to it coming in a pillowcase, under a car, be there at 10 and pick it up, right? That's, that's what I'm used to. All right. So when I see $10,000, I remember I called Erica. I picked up the phone. I said, baby, we got $10,000. This belongs to us. This is mine. They didn't spell it. They didn't send it the wrong place. This is my apartment. That's my ID number. That's my social. This is my money. This is ten thousand dollars. We're gonna eat off the value menu tonight. You know the whole thing. <laughs> my wife's response: Oh, that's good, honey. G- good. 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 Honey. Ten thousand. Oh, wonderful. Bless the Lord. This is so good. I, I thank God. You're such a good provider. I'm like good. Woman, this is ten. Of course, she, you know, she missed God, but she, 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 she just said, I'll, I'll see you when I get home. And I remember hanging up the phone, I'm like, you missed God. You missed God. I remember hanging up the phone. As soon as I was about to hang up that phone, I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me. He says, you can't measure my goodness by your paycheck. Oh, I remember feeling like in the spirit, you know, just. <laughs> see, you have to understand, there's nothing moderate about our God. There's nothing halfway. There's nothing mediocre. There's nothing average. There's nothing passive about it. He's excessive. In the way, did you realize that every time he multiplied food, he you always had more than what you started with? Did you realize that when he delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, they didn't walk out with slave clothes. They walked out with the the Egyptians taking the gold earrings out of their noses and their ears and giving it to them and the best clothing. Because when God takes you from a place and delivers you, you do not look the same. If you've seen El Paso, and none of you have ever gone, none of you vacation there. You just don't go to El Paso, all right? Nobody does. Right? Unless you're going to see family or do something illegal, that's the only reason you go to El Paso. All right? And I, listen, I love my city. It's one big hood. It's one big ghetto. And a lot of people are like, you don't talk like you're from the hood. Well, I don't want to look like where I've been. I want to look like where I'm going. That's what God gave, him, gave me His Son for. That's why I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why He gave me a script. Because I'm not supposed to look the same because I'm called to be a sign and a wonder. That's my life. And when we have this theology or maybe this mindset that God is average and everything, well, He'll give me the best that He can. No, that's your past talking. That's your poverty mentality talking. That's your limits talking. God's absolute best is beyond what you can imagine. That's what the Scripture says. You have to understand there is nothing moderate about our God. A lot of people are like, well, that that sounds a little excessive, Pastor Chris. (laughs) I mean, that's a little much. And I'm like, well... I would rather have excess than lack. Because we've had a lot of lack in the church. You've had a lot of lack in your finances. You've had a lot of lack in your marriages. You've had a lot of lack in your faith. What would happen if you just had some excessive faith? What would happen if you had some excessive love? What would happen if you had some excessive power running through your life? I'm telling you, you'll like excess a lot more. Just telling you. I like it. I like the name of this church. Overflow. What a prophetic statement. Overflow. God is into overflow, excess, and surplus. Are you you with that? Listen, I have been rich. I have been poor. I like rich a lot better. I have been discouraged and I have been full of hope. I like full of hope a lot better. I have been loved and I have been forgotten and I like loved a lot better. Are you with me? Don't let people tell you. I have pastors. I'm just going to rant for a second. I have pastors told me in when we had the big recession, which really wasn't a recession. It was more the withdrawal. That's what I call it. Because the average uh, home spent $756 during the recession on Christmas. Yeah. Ain't no recession. Are you kidding me? 
We're set. So we have churches closing missions departments. Youth pastors completely laid off all their staff. They moved everybody in the sanctuary. Children's departments closed down. It wasn't because they didn't have the money. It was just that's, that we, we can't do that. That's average thinking. So I can't tell you how many missionaries had to come off the field because they thought, well, we're in the middle of recession. And for a few years, well, the recession, well, the recession, well, the recession, well, the recession. Are you, do you realize what happened in the recession? Only the church. Do it. Well, the recession. Jerry Jones built the envy of the NFL just down the road from here during the recession. Oprah went from having her own show to her own network during the recession, talking about Oprah things. I don't even know what the heck she talks about sometimes. All right? Not a big Oprah fan, you can tell. Uh, I, I can tell you this. Listen, I am not here to tell you that you are dreaming too small, but I'm here to tell you that you might want to dream a little bigger. Because there's nothing average about our God. Are you with me? Is this good? All right. Number two, if you're going to have a divine turnaround, number one, there's nothing moderate about our God. You have to get that in your heart. Number two is look for good news to come from the least likely of places. Yeah. Look for good news to come from the least likely of places. It, listen, it's easy to expect God to move in the places you anticipated. Right. But if you're going to have divine turnarounds in your life, in your marriage, with your children, at your job, in your faith, in your spiritual walk, it's got to come from places you never thought it was coming from. Right. And, and I, I remember, um, I remember my, my brother-in-law calling me. He said, hey, I need to talk to you. I said, what's going on? He said, I know that you travel. You believe in that healing stuff. They're atheists, by the way, my brother-in-law and, and, and my sister. And, I, and I, I said, yeah. And he said, well, I need you to pray for your sister. She, um, she just got diagnosed with cancer. And I'm thinking, what kind of cancer? She said, well, brain cancer. A very aggressive-natured tumor put right uh, by her, her, in, her, in her brain. It's almost to where her motor skills are. She's an attorney. So if that attacks any much, she loses uh, uh, the ability to speak. She might even be a vegetable at some point. I mean, there's just all kinds of... He said, would you pray? And I love my brother-in-law. My, you know, my brother-in-law would encourage me more than some Christians would when I took mission trips. Yeah. Oh, dude, you got to go. Is that in your heart? Do you want to do that with your life? Yeah, I want to do that. Then you have to do that. I'm telling you. I got more, I got more love from an atheist than I did the church at some point. <laughs> Nobody's laughing at that, but it's true. <laughs> And I, and I, I loved them, and I said, man, we're going to pray. We're going to believe for healing, that kind of thing. And, and, uh, and so a few months went by, and she had gone through certain tests and finding out what kind of tumor it is, how aggressive it was. And I remember she sent out an email. And she went, sent out an email explaining her journey through cancer. Now, up to this point, Eric and I had been praying, God, would you heal my sister? Would you touch her life? Now, I remember praying this, and then I, I got some counsel. Uh, they, this person said, why are you praying that she gets healed? I'm like, well, she has cancer. <laughs> Duh. And he says, well, does she know Jesus? And I said, well, no, not really. And he says, well, listen, I don't believe that you should stop praying for cancer. But he said, what would be the greater healing? That she would get healed and not know Jesus and die and spend eternity away from him? Or that she would know Jesus, maybe die from cancer, spend eternity with him? Wow. And I said, well... I, I could pray some more. I could pray, I could pray a little differently. So I did. I started praying. I started asking the Lord that you would begin to show up in her life, that you would begin to show up in her kids, show up in her marriage, all this kind of stuff. So when she sends out this email, Erica, my wife, responds back and says, we haven't stopped believing for your healing. We haven't stopped praying for you. And she responds and says, oh, I know. So Erica's like, well, what do you mean you know? She gets on the phone. What do you mean you know? She says, well, this morning, for some reason, I felt like getting up and going to church. So I got up and got the kid family together, and we went to church. And she says, the next week I went back because the people were nice. She said, I went back the next week, and the message spoke right to me. She says, I went back the fourth week, which was that day that she was talking on the phone. She says, I gave my life to Jesus this morning. Come on, somebody. Because he's so good. 
Not only that, but now her tumor has begun to shrink. And we are slowly watching the progressive healing nature of God begin to take over, take authority over that. Why? Because good news comes from the least likely of places. Some of you hate Thanksgiving and Christmas because you know that one uncle's coming. Because you know that person is coming. Because you know the one that you end up in spiritual debates with, is God real? Why are you doing what you're... Some of you hate... You know how many times... When she knew was never disrespectful. He was never disrespectful. But there was some very tensive, uh, tense, uncomfortable conversation between us. I would never have thought my sister would have called me and said, I gave my life to Jesus this morning. But he did. Why? Because it's an unlikely move of God. Now, that's a big deal to us. And that's a big deal to you. But let me, let me say this. God doesn't just come in the least likely ways in the big areas. He likes to come in the little stuff too. He loves the details. I remember one time I was arguing with my wife and we were on the way to a service. How many know when you, if you're married, the best arguments happen on the way to church? I told my friend Eli, Eli and I went to high school together. And I, and I told him, I said, man, sometimes you just got to take two cars to church just to stay married. Don't look at me like that. All the single people looking at me like, you should, you should work on it. Get married. Find out. Find out. The whole time during worship, you have murderous thoughts about them being like, I could kill them like this. I could poison them like that. I could hang them from here. Trust me. So my wife and I get in this fight. I forget what it's about. And I remember we're on our way to church, and I meet with my, one of my best friends. His name is Jared Bryant. And uh, he's a pastor. He's barely saved, but he's a pastor. And, and I, he's the type that knows you so well that he can take one look at you and know that you're arguing. That's how close of friends. You got friends like that? Yeah. You just know some of that. So we get out of the car and he goes, oh, oh, Sarah, his wife. Sarah, Sarah, they're fighting. Watch this. Watch this. <laughs> hey, hey, Chris, why are you mad? Hey, why are you mad? Eric, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you guys arguing about? No, come on, what are you arguing? I'm like, dude, shut up. I'm going to put you in the throat. I promise I'm going to put you in the throat. I'm so mad. So we get in there. We get in the service. And I'm ticked. I'm just on lockdown mode. Like this. I look. You know, worship starts, and they're all like, raise your hands. Come on, praise God. I'm like, I ain't praising nothing up in this church. I remember just like this. I remember I looking at my wife, and my wife's over there. If there were tambourines, she'd have grabbed that too. All right? And I, I, I remember looking at her, and I'm looking like this, looking at her, looking at the worship leader, look back at her. Hypocrite! She ignored me. You know, I, I remember looking at the worship leader. I remember telling the Lord, I said, I'm getting nothing out of tonight unless I get a fresh touch of joy. I get nothing out of tonight unless I get a fresh touch of lo- joy because I want to kill this woman. And I remember sitting there just like this. I'm looking at the worship leader, and of course, he's going at it. Oh, God. I'm, no, that's the best you can do. That's the best. You, you anointed, huh? I'm feeling froggy. You make me jump. What's going on? You know, I guess I'm, you know, I can't, I, I'm in a, I have such a nasty attitude. And I remember, I remember, at the end, they're always saying, at the end of it, hey, turn around, greet somebody, shake someone's hand. So my wife turns to me, and I turn around, I'm like, yeah, right. And I turn my back on her. Now, I have since grown in my marriage. You don't need to send me an email. I've had people do that. If you want to send it, you can send it. I don't care. Chris shot out of TV, okay? And I, I remember turning around, yeah, right. And I turned to this woman behind me. And I remember saying, hi, my name's Chris. And she goes, hi, my name's Joy. I'm like, I see you, God. That ain't right. You're taking her side, but I, I mean, I see you. See, a lot of times we just think God can move in the places that we've seen Him move before. There's nothing new and fresh about that. He wants to come in the least likely of places in your life. He wants to move in the places you have not seen Him before. Let me me break this down because I realize that we're closing on our time. You know, in verse 3 it says it was four leprous men that went and checked out. Notice it was four leprous men who brought the good news. 
You realize, I know you got good teaching in here, but you do realize that leprosy is symbolic of sin. Especially in the Old Testament where we're reading from. And, and it was those who had sinned against the Lord. And notice, it wasn't the righteous. It wasn't the prophet. It wasn't a judge. It wasn't anybody who brought the, the qualified. Right. It was the outcasted. Yes. It was the rejected. Wow. It was with those who you did not want around that they brought the delivering word. Are you with me? Yeah. This is interesting. Lepers had to shout unclean when they would walk through a big crowd. They had to sew metal and bone and glass into their garment. They were often driven out by people throwing stones at them as they approached the city gates. Men who were gatekeepers took these rocks and would throw them at these lepers, and that was signaling, we don't want your kind here. Right. Let me tell you something. Be careful who you throw stones at. They might have your delivering word. They would take, once you were found with leprosy, especially the priest went and looked at you, you were found with leprosy, they went and took you and put you in a colony. You didn't get to say goodbye to your family. You never saw them again. If you had kids, kiss them goodbye. If you had a wife, you'll never see her again. And you were put, you were quarantined and cut off from society and put into this one place to live and hopefully die soon. Right. Let me tell you something. Be careful who you cut off. They just might have your delivering word. I'm talking about the least likely of places. I'm talking about in the ways that God thought, you thought, man, God would never use that person. God would never use that. God can never heal this. I will never get there. I will always walk with this limp. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just so grateful for what the Lord's done. If, if you look at what Jesus has done, in the Old Testament, if you touched a leper, you became unclean. But in the New Testament... If you touch the leper, the leper becomes clean. Yeah. That means good news is coming from the least likely place. He does not need the most qualified. He does not need the most educated. I'm telling. Listen, I work at a Bible college, and half of you go there. All right. I, 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 he does not need that. What he needs is a vessel that's totally transparent with him. That says, "Lord, you could do whatever you want with whichever piece you want in my life." It's the good news that comes from the least likely places that really gives you the most faith. If you'll go and read all the experiences, encounters with Jesus, especially like Mark chapter 2 when they lower the, uh, the, 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 the paralytic through the roof, it says, now on a certain day, which is Hebrew writing form for on a normal day. Yeah. I think we have faith for special days, but we don't have enough faith for normal days. And every special day that you can ever remember started out as a normal day anyways. Right. If we will learn to have faith in the least likely, the normal, right. you would have more than enough in area, every area of your life. That's good. Verse 5 and 7, it says, The lepers rose at twilight. This is interesting. The lepers rose at twilight, and then verse 7, it says, The army fled at twilight. When you decide to do something about your future, then God will cause a noise. When the lepers decided to make a decision and change about their future, then God caused a noise on the city's behalf. And I don't know how many of you are in here this morning. I don't know what you came for. I don't know what you're believing God for. I'm not in your spiritual walk. But I can tell you this. Some of you might need God to cause a noise on your behalf. God, I need you to cause a noise on my family. God, I need you to cause a noise on my finances. God, I need you to cause a noise on my marriage. I need you to cause a noise on my community or on my neighbors. I need you to cause a noise in my people. Are you following me? I need you to cause a noise in my future. God will only cause a noise when you start behaving exactly the opposite of what you used to doing. Hear me. Nothing good, nothing bad with spiritual discipline. But if you want something you've never had, you've got to do something you've never done. You know, a form of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again and expecting different results. Yes. It's amazing how many people live with the frustration of their inconsistencies. Oh, that was not good. That did not go over. 
Let, can I, uh, let me just take this rabbit trail. I feel like there's a big difference, and in, in my, my youth major guys have heard me say this the last two weeks. I've been harping on this. There's a frustration inside of people. I'm tired of being inconsistent with my spiritual walk. I'm tired of being inconsistent with the love I have for my wife or my spouse. I'm tired of being inconsistent with my tithe. I'm tired of being inconsistent with my worship. I'm tired of being inconsistent with my godly character. I'm tired of being inconsistent. And we live under this frustration, and all it is is inconsistency. And it's so hard. Listen, we love when people call us out on our compromise. But the, let me tell you the difference. The trouble with compromise and the difference between compromise and inconsistency is compromise is obvious where inconsistency is not. And the trouble is we hate ourselves for that inconsistency when really if you would just get before the Lord and start believing God for the least likely of things and the least likely of places. I'm talking about the places where you have the most bitterness. Can you believe God there? Come on. I'm talking about in places where you have the most frustration. Have you truly forgiven your ex? Come on. Have you truly walked with the Lord? Have you journeyed this thing out? That's what I'm telling you. The least likely of places. I, when God... When God causes a noise on your behalf, it's because you did something that was totally different than what you've always done. Yeah. Receive that. Yeah. Let me give you the last point. I'm going to close this out. Number three, deal with your unbelief. If you're going to have divine turnarounds, you need to deal with your unbelief. In verse 2, I had you skip it, but it says this. After this prophet, Elisha, he gets up and says, tomorrow about this time, right? Well, then in verse 2, watch this. Verse 2, So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And the prophet answered, In fact, you're going to see it with your eyes, but you're not going to eat of it. How I many know you don't want a prophet to talk to you like that? Right. <laughs> then you know something's about to pop off. All right. Jump down to verse 17. Watch this. Now, the, after this is after the mighty provision. God causes a noise. The lepers bring back the good news. The people go and plunder the city. Look at what happens in verse 17. Now, the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge over the gate. But the people trampled him in the gate, and he died, just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. Now, I'm not saying that when you walk out of here today, you have unbelief, and we're all going to run over you, because we'll, we'll sniff you out. We'll know who you are. That's not what I'm saying. But you can obviously tell God's attitude towards unbelief. Have you, have you realized that there are only two ways to make Jesus marvel. With great unbelief or great faith. With the centurion, it says, and Jesus marveled at the centurion's great faith. When he tried to go to Nazareth and do miracles, it says he marveled at their great unbelief. There's only two ways to make Jesus marvel. And a lot of times what happens is it's not that you have a demon. All right? I know people that look for demons and car batteries and trees and shoelaces and all that kind of stuff. I, that's retarded. All right, that's, I can't believe some people believe like that, but whatever. I, I, but let me tell you, sometimes it's not that. Sometimes the real problem is that, you know the longest journey between, for one person can only be 18 inches between your heart and your head? Yes. You do realize that? And your unbelief has been getting in the way of what God wants to do in your life. If you would be honest, the only reason you're inconsistent is because of your unbelief. That's the only reason. If you would be honest with God and say, the only reason I don't feel like you love me is because I've been inconsistent with my unbelief and my belief. Yeah. You Listen, if, I love this generation. I love young people. That's what I focus on. And I, 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 I feel like young people just flesh out our spiritual walk just a little bit more. You go and read their Twitter feed and it's like, God is so good. He's so wonderful. And then they have a half-naked picture after that. Yeah. And then... The next, God is what? He's my provider, Jehovah Jireh, the whole thing. I don't even know a young person that talks like that, but whatever. <laughs> then the next tweet, I hate my life. It's disgusting. Oh. 
That's not young people, right? Next verse, Psalms 133. I mean, it's like this. This is what they do the whole time, like this. And if we were honest, that's what our life looks like. You have to deal with that unbelief. Yes. That's what I'm telling you. He's not in love with a future version of you. Yeah, that's right. He's in love with you right now. He didn't give his life for what you will be. He gave his life for where you're at and who you are. Deal with your unbelief. This is God's attitude towards unbelief. This is just one of those stories that's too good to be true, but I've found that when it's too good to be true, it's probably gone. That's some Forrest Gump faith for you. It's probably gone. Jesus had to deal with unbelief in Matthew 17. This father brings his son who's demon-possessed and puts him in front of the disciples. Disciples say, come out. You know, it doesn't come out. Come out. No. Come out. No. Come out. No. Man, I don't know. Right? So the father gets frustrated. He picks up his son and takes him to Jesus. Jesus says, go. In one word, boom, the demon's gone, right? So the disciples do what anybody who's been publicly embarrassed in ministry does. They call a private meeting with Jesus. <laughs> they do it. Read Matthew 17, verse 19. It says, then the disciples came to Jesus privately. Notice, I, I, this is what this is called nowadays, private prayer meetings. Yeah. Nobody's praying, but you're talking, right? You ever been talking while you're praying? God, we just pray for the rumors that started with this, this, and this. And this. Pray for sister so-and-so, you know, crack kills, you know what I'm saying? You know, all that kind of stuff. You start, but no, he's praying about nothing. You're just trying to, trust me, they're real. These people exist. <laughs> so the disciples come to Jesus privately, and they say, why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus says, because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if anyone of you has faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll speak to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be given to you, and nothing will be impossible for you, right? This is what he says, right? But a lot of people think, then he goes on and continues, he says, except this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. Now, we have built a doctrine on this verse that's inaccurate. We, have, we think the only way we can cast out demons is if we prayed and fasted. That, you, know, listen, you don't pray and fast to cast out demons. Because that's not how he started the confrontation. He says, because of your unbelief. In other words, you pray and fast to cast unbelief out of you, and then you can go cast out demons. Are you following me? You will have an overflow of the supernatural power of God and provision and favor on your life if you'll just deal with your unbelief. Some of you have been fasting for performance, not for presence. And a lot of us, what happens is we get frustrated because we put a week's worth of starving ourselves. You ain't praying, you just don't eat. And then what happens is you get frustrated with God and say, God, why haven't you blown through for me? Why haven't, why haven't, you, why haven't you come through for me? Why haven't you done this for me? Why hasn't this happened? The only reason is, is you still have unbelief. Yeah. Oh. Good word. We cry, God, would you come? Would you come? Would you send your glory? Would you send your love? Would you come? Would you come? Would you come? And He's saying, if I did, I'd kill you. Because no flesh may glory in His presence. In other words, you're going to die. And unbelief will kill you. Either way, you might as well just get rid of your unbelief. I I have found that unbelief resists the miraculous. I have never seen one person healed that had unbelief in them. Never have. And I see tumors uh, fall off all the time. We've raised the dead. I've seen all kinds of that. Some people just can't believe. Some believe God can't change things suddenly. But I, I have found, if you will just start living against average, against mediocrity, against that, I have found, just saying this, that God moments, or I'm sorry, we want all these God moments. Well, God habits will create God moments. Yeah, that's right. That's right. If you will constantly have, if I would call it a detox of unbelief, you will see a moment of God rise in your life you've never seen before. Yes. Shut the, 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 I'm preaching to myself. Yeah. I believe it's time for a divine turnaround. Yeah.